All right, we are back. The month of March is almost over. NFL owners meetings this week. Always a very news-filled week. No shortage of that. I would say the Lamar Jackson conversation probably is going to dominate a good chunk of this podcast. We haven't really gotten too in-depth on him. And obviously there are some Chris Ballard, Jim Mercer comments from the owners meetings that are relevant. Um, I do want to make sure, Eddie, right off the bat, that we shout out uh, the crew that was out there. I've been fortunate to go to owners' meetings in Phoenix and in Boca Raton, and I think it's every other year they they go to Florida or Arizona for these March meetings. Uh, but it is such a great event from a media standpoint because the three big headers talk. Your head coach talks, your GM talks, and oftentimes your owner talks. You don't get that really at any other event all year long. I guess the draft would be the only other time. Um, so shout out to Zach Kiefer, Stephen Holder, Joel Erickson. I know JJ Stankovitz and Kevin Connors from Colts.com. They always do great work. But you know when when you have a podcast like this, and I, I've been on the side of them, uh, you, you you have people that all of a sudden just talk about all the content that you got out there, and it, it's a bit awkward from a media standpoint. Um, so kudos to them for getting all that, and we will talk a lot about the stuff that they've written and they've talked about and they've posted. So. Check out all of their work because they did a really nice job out there. Yeah, likewise, I want to echo the same sentiments. And a question for you when it comes to the odors meetings, what all entails? Like what all goes on? Yeah, so typically we would get there like Saturday-ish. Um, I remember going to an Arizona Coyotes game. Uh, with, oh, nice. Yeah, with uh, with the whole brigade one year. And it's the same year that Notre Dame and Butler played in the second round of the tournament. Pat Connaughton, a big block on Kellen Dunham to force so, the game. So what, I, so what I'm gathering here is that you just need to go every year, right? Well, that would be a dream on, on many fronts. I remember Ryan Grigson and I chatting about hockey for his children. They were obsessed with Sidney Crosby, who was playing ah. against the Coyotes that night. Um, but basically, Sunday is kind of when things kick off. Typically, you will have a head coach breakfast. AFC will be one morning. The NFC will be the next morning, uh, early in the morning. So we're talking like a 7 a.m. breakfast. All the coaches, picture a big hotel ballroom. All the coaches are at a table. Uh, You sit down at that table. And you can obviously bounce around to tables. You primarily would be at the Colts coach table. Um, And you just throw questions. It used to be an hour. They've now shortened it to a half hour. Uh, but it's a great, great access. Obviously, if you have free agents that have spent time in other places, you go and ask those coaches about you know those players, coaching, you know hires, et cetera. And then your GM and your owner, those are much more secluded sessions. It's not necessarily podium like as we see at the combine. It's much mm-hmm. more of a Colts PR, you know, kind of orchestrates that sort of meeting and obviously Eddie outside of the media stuff it's the only event all year where you have the three big people for each organization and it's a lot of league meeting stuff you know you, you see the rule changes of the number zero for a jersey and you know only one roster cut down now from 90 to 53 you know those things are announced uh, so that's pretty much what the week looks like and if I'm not mistaken Goodell talked yesterday is that right I think so I think they're done so I mean it's a very like Sunday night Let's bang everything out Monday, Tuesday, and let's go our separate ways. Because obviously, you know, for a GM and head coach, you know, uh, there's a couple big pro days tomorrow in Florida and in Tennessee. So um, you would like to get back to some of that. But I know they alternated Arizona, Florida to try to appease the franchises on one side of the country or the other. Uh, but that's kind of a little bit of a rough sketch. You, we, they stay at the nicest resorts you can imagine. Oh, I bet. It's just like, uh, Kevin, don't touch anything. You know, the one year in Boca. <laughs> The resort was, um, I forget what it was called, but obviously just beautiful, gorgeous. I'm like, again, don't don't break anything. And then Jim Irsay decided to rent a yacht. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Usher. Yeah. And, that, and he stayed on the yacht literally 40 yards from the NFL, from the hotel entrance. I'm like, boy, that's a different lifestyle. And it was, I'll never forget walking on that boat, and it was like automatic doors and Boy, we had to take off our shoes, and it was, uh, yeah, it uh, swanky to say the least, man. So it's a great time. Obviously, you're in good weather during a time in here locally where it's not always the greatest. Uh, but for this podcast and just the NFL news cycle, it, it, it's just a great event in kind of a quiet period of mm-hmm. like we haven't had the combine for a month. It's the first time to talk about free agents, and then again in Ursay's case, and I guess we can just start there, Eddie. 
In Ursay's case, it's the first time he's spoken since the Shane Steichen presser. And if you remember, I mean, I don't think the Shane Steichen presser is necessarily the time and place to get into these big kind of philosophical thoughts about your organization and the future of it. Mm-hmm. Those tones of questions were asked by you know Joel and Zach and, and Steven out there. Um, we'll get to the Lamar Jackson stuff, but I want to start here just on Ursay comments. I thought it was the first time he has not acted like Chris Ballard's going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame tomorrow yep. as a GM. Um, he wasn't ready to measure the gold jacket quite yet. It was just a little bit of a, he's not on a quick hot seat, but the expectations are there. When a position of authority says something about someone underneath him, that tells me a lot compared to what Ursay has said about him, which I think yeah. is so important to go off of. Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, exactly. Thank you for that reference back to the fall presser when Jeff Saturday was fired and the MJ references. You mean Frank Reich? Uh, sorry, when Jeff Saturday was hired, Frank Reich was was fired. Yes, um, you know, back in whatever that was, early November. Um, certainly, he didn't go there with tone. And you know, Eddie obviously contractually is under contract through twenty twenty six. Um, I did think he mentioned, and I think we're used to it in this market as the Pacers have led us down this path, next year will be an interesting season. You know, the NFL, so much of it is just wins and losses dominated, but next year we'll have a different feel, I think, for the Colts and how we evaluate it, how you define hope, how you define outlook. Are you going down the right path? Is their future bright? That will largely be how Chris Ballard is looked upon. Um so I think that will be really, really interesting. The tangible evidence of, you know, no division titles and one playoff win and whatever the record is is you know something under five hundred. That won't be as relevant. It will still matter to a degree because in year seven, you know, when you've had six years to build, you shouldn't be trending in a negative direction. Uh, but I thought Ursay was pretty honest with a lot of those comments. So non Lamar Jackson division. I thought that was the biggest thing yep. Ursay really had to say. Yeah, I was about to say it's like the first time really where Ursay has kind of publicly come out and he's kind of embraced somewhat of a non-competitive weekly year to see growth from players. Right. Um, because he, I think a large part because of the quarterback position. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good way to put it as well. Um We'll get back to Ursay in relation to the guaranteed contracts and the Lamar Jackson stuff in just a second. I want to shift to Ballard a little bit. You know, Ballard was asked about trading up for the number one pick and basically said that they were not there yet as a franchise, that they were still doing work. They feel, you know, he feels like there's enough draft depth at quarterback. I thought it was a very interesting answer in that they were not there yet. And it comes back to the age-old debate, Eddie, of your urgency as a franchise, and when you make a trade of that magnitude, how much of it is just trading to pick first? Like, you get the first choice. Yep. There might not necessarily be a player that is substantially better than the other three, but does the fact that you just are able to walk into the store before anyone else can walk in there? Is that worth the price of trading up to number one? And clearly Carolina, which, again, Frank Reich was hired, what, a couple weeks before Shane Steichen? Yes. But let's not act like Carolina was building for this for you know months and years. You know, It was still a organization that has retained their GMs in Carolina and Indy, new head coaches in both places, and yet Carolina felt the need or the urgency to do it. And yet when you hear Carolina talk, they still feel like they're doing a whole lot of homework. They're sending a dozen people to all three pro days last week. I assume the same sort of brigade will go to Gainesville tomorrow for Anthony Richardson. I probably side a little bit more with the Carolina thought process. I do too. Of if you wait, you might have waited too long. Is there a chance that you wait and no one really emerges? Without a doubt. But I I find that hard to believe. Like, that would be the case, slash, I still think it's important to get as early of a choice as you can. It's costly. I'm not going to acknowledge that it's not. And, you know, we had the debate a few weeks ago on this very podcast, Eddie, about I would argue that the Colts would have 
it would have been difficult for the Colts to drum up a similar type trade package like Carolina mm-hmm. could produce with DJ Moore being such a critical component to that. But I just thought it was a really interesting answer from Ballard in that he almost said indirectly, at some point we might get there in this process. At some point, and it might be Thursday, it might be tomorrow. Anthony Richardson might sit down with the Colts after the pro day in the strength room of you know Florida's football facilities and Billy Napier might be in there and Bauer might walk out of there and Steichen might walk out of there and who knows if they'll even show up. They didn't show up to the other pro days last week. Maybe it'll happen in a top 30 visit, which you know it sounds like the Colts are doing you know several of these with some of the quarterbacks. Maybe that, that'll happen then. But Eddie, if it happens on April 10th and you're sitting there at four and one and two are land I mean locked in like you can't get there or you kind of you know bleep out of luck that would be a concern that I would have with that yeah that's a concern that I have especially I don't know how much you pay attention to these or not there's been a couple mocks that I've seen lately Michael Lombardi and then uh, Bucky Brooks and I think even I don't know if Daniel Jeremiah did it or not but they had the Colts selecting edge, whether that was Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson, over quarterback. I was like, oh boy. If I'm not mistaken on the Tannenbaum one, that was what he would do. Was it? Oh, it was I, Tannenbaum? I, I, and again, you know, you can, you can look at mock drafts, I think, in a couple of ways, Eddie. One is, is this intel from what you're hearing around the league, or is this what you would do? Because was Tannenbaum the one of that hooker going really high, too? Yeah, yeah, I'm going like fifth. Yeah, so I, I do think that is something to also keep in mind um again i thought ballard was pretty much a politician with all the quarterback questions as you would expect him to be and i think you could make the argument as he should be um if you have anything else on the trade up for one if not i'd like to move on to a couple other ballard related topics i do not what's the next topic you'd like to touch on so the gilmore trade you know, he mentioned the the cap implications. Again, that's not something he's typically said before about a roster move. You know, Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. I mean, you know, assuming Kenny Moore is retained, and it sounds like Kenny and Ryan Kelly will both be brought back. I mean, what you're looking at there is some major youth at corner, major youth. I mean, this is a guy that, in Flowers' case, undrafted free agent that had what two starts to end last year. Rogers' case. I think we've all been kind of waiting, but still, six-round pick had started, what, eight or nine games in Mm -hmm. his NFL career. Um, Typically, the Colts have had the kind of that veteran corner. You know, Pierre Desir, Xavier Rhodes, Stephon Gilmore. Like, they've always had that veteran with a little bit of youth. They don't have that. We'll see if anything happens draft-wise. Obviously, we'll see if anything happens in free agency. Um, You know, the the, the Ryan Kelly thing, first off, I think we can say this, Eddie, pretty confidently. The Colts did not get anywhere near the return on investment they thought they should have or they period should have, in Kelly and Moore last year. Correct. I can sit here and listen to people, though, that say it's important for a rookie quarterback to have a veteran center. I I, I could get behind that. I and obviously agree. Ryan Kelly has had a lot of different types of quarterbacks that he has played with. So I could get behind that. Um, I still don't necessarily think like it should have been a slam dunk for either of them to return. I also wonder this, Eddie. What the hell would have been the trade package in return for for those two? Stephon Gilmore netted a fifth. The cap savings are very similar for Gilmore as they would have been for Kenny Moore. Uh, Kelly, I think there's another year on the deal, so you know another team would absorb a little bit more of that contract. Obviously, age-wise, Kenny Moore is a handful of years younger than Gilmore, uh, maybe even more than that. Ryan Kelly is a little bit younger than him as well. I mean, would those two have even netted a six-rounder? Because their age, would they have netted higher than that? That's a good Gilmore's the best player of the trio, but obviously age-wise, he doesn't fall into a great category. Basically what I'm saying, Eddie, is I think in reality, they couldn't have got better than the 200th pick back for either of those two. And maybe that's why Ballard said... No, I don't want to. I just couldn't pull the trigger on anything. And again, part of me looks at Kenny and says, "You know what? I think he's wired to bounce back." And don't you need some veteran presence? I mean, right now, no Gilmore, no Roddy McLeod. So you're young at safety too. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, so I thought those were some interesting things. Boy, Shane Steichen does not say anything, does he? Do no, he does not. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Yeah, Colts.com, great work by Kevin Connors and company over there. They uploaded the entire breakfast video, 20-some minutes, 26 minutes. It 
gosh, that dude. I'm looking back on our interview with him and think that might be the only time he laughs in a press conference, you know, in a conference setting in a while. It's just he is all ball, and when he doesn't want to answer a question, he will stop after nine words. And he's like Dusty May. <laughs> Dusty May is kind of like that. Dusty May looks like a nice dude. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna talk for a while. Yeah. At least on the court. I you know, he comes on with our afternoon radio host for those unfamiliar. They have some ties together from back home. JMV, and he's a little bit more expansive there. I, I did think a couple things, Stike, and I and there were a couple things that stood out to me. He kind of mentioned like I wanted a younger offensive staff, and part of the reason is like you kind of gotta cater to millennials in a different way. I, I thought that was a little bit interesting. You expect turnover. On that side of the ball, it hasn't been immense this offseason, but obviously you expected a quarterback, and you would think over time you're going to turn turn over some personnel there. He keeps on coming back to, when when always asked about quarterback, Eddie, he keeps on coming back to neck up. Do they love it? How they're wired. How they're wired, man. The guys that love it, the guys that love the grind, love the process. You know, in a way, there's physical attributes in all four of these quarterbacks that you love. That you love. And by the way, I want to get into a podcast, maybe next pod, maybe mid-April, that we just we break down the QBs. That'd be great. A little bit more into them, pros, cons, et cetera, et cetera. I, I want to do that, you know, at least a couple weeks out before the draft because, hell, we're less than a month away. But you know what? It, you just keep on coming back to that with Steichen about the neck up. And I think it's something to really, really focus in on because you think physically he's worked with all different types of physical quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. But Rivers and Hurts and Herbert, he has said they're all wired the same way. So I almost think do we need to remove ourselves from the physical skills and start to get into that neck up? And and is there a separator there? Um, You know, I'll hold off on getting too in-depth into that, but... That has been, I think, one of the big constants. You know, yes, third and eight, you got to rip one in there, boom. You know, yes, the ability to make a play or two with your legs is a beautiful weapon to have. Steichen said all of that. But the thing he says most frequently about the QBs is between the ears Mm -hmm. and his neck up. And again, that's to me, Eddie, is I don't give two you know what's about these scripted pro days. I don't, do not show me one highlight of CJ Stroud or Will Levis throwing the ball in these pro days. I don't care. What I care more about is is first off, I'd care a lot more about a private workout when you dial up throws that you don't think these guys can make, and now that you get them out of their comfort zone, you know the the pro day again they can script however they oh yeah they, they want to, and then two you obviously get them into your own building and now you start to put them to the test of all right how are you wired are you going to be the one that you know Peyton Manning looks at Bill Polian and says if you don't draft me I'm going to kick your ass for the next decade et cetera et cetera that's the stuff. That you, I, I think I'm more curious about anything on that front, Eddie. Before we get into Lamar, no, I was just going to say that maybe that's also why we don't see Ballard or Steichen out at these pro days is because they much rather have a top thirty visit with them and have the one on one time to talk ball, you know, watch film and break stuff down and be like, all right, here's his play. What do you see? Uh, and what was the read and and anything like that. You know, some of the product stuff, I'm like, how much is this a show? I mean, the Seahawks are, like, taking selfies with all these dudes. I know. You know it's like, uh, is that real? Is it not real? The Geno Smith guarantee? I, David Tepper's paying for a lot of dinner. Yeah, yeah, a lot. And bringing the wife. When's the last, first off, when's the last time an owner shows up to Pro Day? I've never seen her say to Pro Day. Never Me seen either. owners, period. And then you bring the wife. I mean. And like, doesn't wait, Frank just look happy all the time now? God, Frank looks like he's just got a new puppy on Christmas morning, and he's I know. just chasing after it in the backyard. He so. looks like a Tiger when he puts on the green jacket. Hey, hey, now, do not tease me. Master's pick. I'm going to need it out of you next week on the pod. All oh, right. oh, boy. Um, all right, let's get into Lamar Jackson, and let's start here, Eddie. Pros and cons. You know, I wrote a piece up on our website about Lamar on Tuesday. 1075thefan.com. Thank you for that. Uh, we'll get into Ursay's comments, which I found very interesting here in just a second. Um, I think the pros are rather obvious, but you would obviously be taking a huge swing at a very talented, dynamic, unique quarterback, and that's something you haven't done in quite a while. You'd be giving Shane Steichen, again, a really rare piece. And, I mean, what, Philly had a really nice rushing attack last year. Obviously, Hurts was good, and their O-line was good, but, I mean, Lamar's different than even Hurts as a runner. And him and Lamar, or him and Jonathan Taylor, that would strike some fear 
into a defense that would make a defense think. I would argue Colts opposing defenses had not have not had to think too much nope. about defending them in years past, particularly last year. So all of that I think would be super super enticing. You know, Lamar is accomplished. He's been there. He's been in playoff games. So the fear factor, which I think you have to, you never truly know until the guy gets in the NFL. That wouldn't be an issue or debate for you. I don't know if this matters a whole lot, and maybe it's just, I think there are some fans at Eddie that just are like, I just want to see a splash. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like, you know, there's a lot of ramifications that we should probably account for before we just look at it like that. It almost seems like the Colts players are there. I mean, they're all liking all these tweets on Twitter. We all see them of... Lamar, Lamar, Lamar. You yeah. know, I mean, they, and again, is it just like, hey, I'm so sick and tired of quarterback. Just do something. Just do something. And Lamar, obviously, would be something. Would be something. And you know what? Those Colts defenders, they saw it firsthand when Baltimore faced Indy a few years ago on Monday Night Football. So I think the pros, again, kind of speak for themselves. He's only 26. So it's not like he's a 32 year old. We can get into the debate of how long he would play. Um, or how long he would play at this level. But I think the pros are rather obvious. For me, the biggest con starts with his injury playing style. When the injuries have occurred and where the injuries have occurred, Eddie, he has been hurt in each of the last two Decembers where he has ended up being shut down for the rest of the year. The injuries were an ankle and a knee. Both on sacks. Both on sacks. When and where. When I say when, 70-some percent of the season is gone. Yep. And the wear and tear naturally is there, and he gets hurt. The wear, think of the body parts, Eddie. This isn't a shoulder. This isn't a finger. This isn't a concussion. This is lower body on a dude that, his lower body's as rare as arguably anybody we've ever seen play the position. And you need you need him to be at that peak level. Um, so the most critical games of the season, you haven't had him on the field. If you want to get a little nitpicky, which I think you have to when you think about what you'd be giving up for him, the passing numbers have started to dwindle a little. The efficiency of it, the accuracy of it, it started. it's not crazy alarming but it has started to go down a bit and then again think about it like a madden video game rating when the 99 speed becomes 92 that puts more pressure on him as a passer the defense maybe feels like hey we don't need to commit you know 22 to the run game we'll commit 20 and a few more to the pass game and now all of a sudden does that expose his passing to where you're not getting the elite dynamic mvp level um i get he's an mvp type talent that was also a couple years ago that was also before the injuries. And again, MVP at 22 or 23 doesn't mean you're MVP at 27, 28. So I think you have to factor that in. Um, the other con I would have is, and again, I wrote this on Tuesday before the Ursay comments, but Ursay kind of mentioned this as well. The money. The money and then going off of that, Eddie, do you have enough around him? Are the Colts a playoff team with Lamar Jackson? I'd say yes because of their schedule. They play the NFC South. Yeah. Um, obviously, from a division standpoint, you would certainly put the Colts ahead of Tennessee and Houston, I think. Yes. With Lamar Jackson. Um, but, Eddie, you know, you paused for a couple seconds before giving your answer, as I did when I asked myself that question a few days ago. The pause means it's not a slam dunk. And if I'm getting Lamar Jackson and the deal is, you know, Let's just say it's three years, and then he hits free agency again, which is probably worth pointing out. And you're giving up two first-round picks the next two years, and you're handing out a huge sum of money from a cap standpoint, and you already barely use free agency. How are you going to build around him? How are you going to add to that? Baltimore wasn't a slam dunk playoff team now they're in a much better division but still I think that's a question you have to ask yourself and I don't know how much this should matter Eddie 
but and we might just be prisoners of the moment here. Yep. But Eddie, have we ever been 13 months removed from a draft and heard this much chatter about two quarterbacks in Caleb Williams and Drake May and Marvin Harrison Jr.? I, I, I don't think we've had it to this extent. Certainly there was a little bit last year with Bryce Young. Yeah, a little, but I think, I don't know if Stroud was all the way there yet or even if Will Anderson was viewed. And maybe before that it was Trevor Lawrence. Yes, but again, Zach Wilson yeah. you know, wasn't there. You didn't have that wide out that right. would fall into that group. I'd be a little hesitant to remove myself from the 2024 draft in round one. And again, you'd be doing that by giving up a first-round pick. Yeah. And Eddie, we're not even there to who else could potentially get to elite status in that draft class. You know, who makes the big jump? And, and you know, who is kind of the Anthony Richardson-ish type guy? Or who is the you know, Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech? Or Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon? Not to act like those guys are on the same tier, but just who else emerges in what, by all accounts, at quarterback and wideout, you're going to have a huge, huge a potentially generational draft. The Ursay-related comment was more on the building. And it is most teams, and in my opinion, I am fully on board with this thought process, they view the best time to build is when that rookie QB is on that contract. Agreed. You get the four years, you tack on the fifth-year option, boom, that's the time, baby. Look around the league. Everybody, I mean, look at the splashes the Dolphins continue to make. I mean, like, they've got it because two is on you know, a pretty manageable deal. You wouldn't have that with Lamar. You would not have that. And you're about to extend Pittman. You're about to extend Taylor. Extend Taylor. You've already done it with Leonard. You've already done it with Nelson, Braden Smith. Again, it's it's a lot. It's a lot when you think about it, and it's even a lot more when you think about how frugal the Colts are. So I think those are all cons you have to acknowledge. Again, I have been one that says no to Lamar Jackson. I think the injury playing style that concerns me I don't think the return on investment as he gets deeper into his 20s would be there again if the deal's only three years Eddie holy hell now he's a free agent again look how Lamar Jackson's handling things right now you think he's a slam dunk just to return to you I don't think so no you you know you didn't draft him he doesn't have a lot of ties to you know Indy per se or this franchise or this organization Louisville sure um, you know, if he's proven himself at a pretty high level in three years, I venture to guess he'd be wanting to cash in somewhere. Um, the Ursay comments, fascinating. Regarding the guaranteed money aspect of this? Yeah, l- let's start there. And again, shout out to our colleagues out there. I believe Stephen Holder mentioned that he asked this question to Jim Ursay, and it was not, there was no Lamar Jackson mention in the question, obviously. I think you can put two and two together and realize what was being asked there. But I thought, I've I felt all along, Eddie, that this debate was almost a moot point because I never thought Ursa would pay that type of money. And when by that type of money, I mean guaranteed up front. Yeah. And who knows, maybe Lamar will get to a point where it's like, dude, you're not getting that. So you, you've got to back off that if, if that's what you want. But as of now, let's just continue with the hypothetical. Ursay, I thought, took a bucket of water and looked at the fire of Lamar Jackson and the Colts and just poured that water right on top of it. <laughs> I thought he, I mean, right on top of it. The quote about the guaranteed contracts from Ursay. For me, for the good of the game, I don't believe fully guaranteed contracts would be ga- good for our game at all, at all. Is that key for putting that in italics for emphasis? I've seen what it's done to other sports leagues, and I just don't think it's a positive. I line up more with the old school owners, the Roonies, the Maras, the Hallises. Everyone has to change with the times, that sort of thing. Our game is great, and it's great for a number of reasons, but I don't think guaranteed contracts make our game greater. I think it makes it worse. End quote. Eddie, good of the game. Jim Irsay believes that he is a steward that he is a huge part of the NFL, that he needs to continue to live up the rich traditions that previous owners have laid out before him. That is nothing he turns his head at. So when you think about it from that standpoint, I don't think they like the president 
that the Haslam family set out with Deshaun Watson, so I don't see Ursay going down that path. Um, now, Ursay added that money is not necessarily the issue, but it's the draft capital and the compensation on top of that. Again, I would agree wholeheartedly with that statement. Um, anything Ursay front there, Eddie, that you want to hit on? There's another Ursay comment that I absolutely couldn't agree with more that I want to get to, but anything on that guaranteed contract front? No, but that just seems like the the same thinking of the rest of the owners as well is that they want the Deshaun Watson contract to be the exception the and, not, yep. yeah, uh-huh. and right. not the norm because they don't want the players having so much authority or uh, control over things. Sure, sure. Which, you know, that sounds like a nice labor talk in 2030 when, when the new labor deal um, it is hashed out. The comment that I could not agree more on with Ursay from the owners' meetings is something that I have said for several years in this podcast, Eddie. Uh, hashtag team draft a quarterback. It's where I've always been. I think it's the path you have to take. I think it gets you down the path that is the best one to go down to get what Ursay wants. And Ursay said it again this week. And I know people laugh at it, and I know people say, you haven't won a division since 2014. Whatever. The ambition to win two Super Bowls is exactly what the owner should want. Yeah. Now, you've got to get other places before you get there, but that should be the top of the mountain. So, I'm good nice, with it. Nice. Nice reference. I, I, nice. I, I'm good with it. Now, to get there, again, you got a whole lot of work to do, but in my opinion, the path to go down is the path of drafting a quarterback. Here was Ursay's comment. Again, this courtesy is at Keeper's Peace on The Athletic. Quote, when you have a rookie quarterback, it gives you the opportunity to build a franchise for the first three or four years. If you have a rookie QB, you know you're going to have a chance for those years to really have extra dollars to make your team better. He then later added, we're looking for the future guy, and we want that guy to be here for the next 10 years. Eddie, could Lamar Jackson still be playing football at 36? He could. Definitely. Definitely. But I'm not willing to bet on it. And I'm not willing to bet he's going to look like the same QB he's looked like through the first handful of seasons in the NFL. So when I hear all of that, I see a bucket of water, I see the Lamar Jackson Colts fire, and I see the bucket. I remember Ursay doing the ice bucket challenge back in the day with Andrew Luck, actually. I believe Andrew Luck poured the water on Jim Ursay. It's one of the greatest (laughs) images out there. Please go and find that if you want to laugh on this Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this podcast. I don't hear Lamar Jackson from Jim Irsay. I do not hear it. I could be dead wrong. That's my opinion. Um, I, I don't hear it, and I'm good with it. I. That's him swiping left and not right. Thank you for that. Um, I've been to a couple of Tinder weddings, by the way. It's been very beneficial how social media has led to strong success on the relationship front. Um, Eddie, think back to January. Seven AFC playoff teams, and what was the common thread with all seven? All were under the age of, what, 27? All QBs under the age of 27. All QBs drafted by that team. I think yeah. that might be more important than the age. I mean, the age, sure. Uh, and six of the seven, you would have... And again, I slot Lamar in as the QB for Baltimore through the large chunk of last season. Um, you know, six of the seven drafted in the top half of round one, Lamar being the final pick of round one. I found it really interesting that I posted the, the story to our website, started thinking about the podcast idea for Wednesday. 1075thefan.com. Thank you. Second time on that. Um, I get an email from one of those betting sites, and it's Lamar Jackson props. Like, I oh. get those too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So I start scrolling through them. Did you see the over-under on games played for Lamar Jackson for this uh, season? No. Can I guess? Sure. So it's 17 games, right? Uh-huh. 13 and a half. The over-under from this Vegas site was 12 and a half. Ooh, that was close. Eddie, think about that. Let's say Vegas is spot on of that over-under, as they typically are with things. Let's say he plays 12 games, 13 games, whatever you want to call it. That means he's missed a quarter, potentially a third of a season. That is way too risky for my liking. Depending on the franchise that he goes to, I would easily take the over. I think a lot of his 
hits that he's taken in Baltimore were as a result of a tight end being his best pass catcher. And his most of the time his top receiver was the third or fourth wide receiver on any other team's depth chart. I, I've heard that, and, and I, I understand that comment. My question, though, is this, Eddie. While you would protect him better, theoretically, with more pass catchers around him, whatever, hand the ball off, he doesn't have to do as much running, doesn't that make him less dynamic? Doesn't that take him from Lamar Jackson all caps to maybe just a couple capital letters if he's not? Like, peak Lamar Jackson is, I'm a threat to do something with my legs that the NFL has never seen outside of Michael Vick on a down-in, down-out basis. If you dial that back at all, it's the whole Andrew Luck argument. If you tell Andrew Luck to start dumping the ball off, you, you, you don't allow Andrew Luck to fully be Andrew Luck. There might be some positives. He might be healthier, but the ceiling might not be as... Imagine telling Patrick Holmes he can't scramble. Oof. Imagine telling Josh Allen he can't get out of the pocket. You know, you, you're going to dial that back. A um, couple other things on the Ursafe front before we move on. First off, I thought it was very interesting how super positive Baltimore was about Lamar Jackson. I mean, John Harbaugh was like, week one, I'm fired up about him playing for us week one. Sashi Brown, their team president's like, yeah, he, you know, he's going to be here. We are committed to getting something done. I, you know, I, I guess. Eddie, I don't know if you know this or realize this or how much of our listening audience does, but do you know which member of the national media that I think it's fair to consider is probably the closest to Jim Irsay? I would say ESPN. Chris Mortensen. Chris Mortensen. Chris Mortensen's tweet from earlier this week. A few teams, owners included, have discussed Lamar Jackson's case. One team was hesitant. Re-number of games, snaps, and practices missed last two to three years versus the money invested. Also wonder whether his sleep habits and nutrition contribute to his absences. Nobody speaks ill of his character. In tweet. I'm not going to get into the sleep habits and nutrition debate. Oh, uh, come on. You know, I took my shirt off last Thursday <laughs> on the show, and I've had some wondering about my nutrition habits. So um, I don't know if I'm one to speak to that. I'm going to venture to guess, Eddie, that there might be some Jim Irsay stuff behind that tweet in relation to the hesitancy over the number of games, snaps missed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that covers everything on the Lamar front. Um, anything else? Just trying to think of potential sh- suitors. Is it the Falcons? Falcons... Lions, haven't they been mentioned? Lions, Commanders, maybe. A little bit of a dark horse. But like. Anybody else in the AFC? Uh, Tennessee. That'd be my only guess. Very similar to Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah, Tennessee. Um, New England? I saw that uh, Meek Mill texted Robert Kraft and said, hey, go, go, <laughs> go get him. How great is that line? Yeah. I saw Meek Mill texting Robert Kraft. Well, you know what? Better text him about that than, you know, yeah, the, any, any businesses in the Florida area. Yeah, the massage yeah. Or, uh-huh. or whatever. But last thing from me on the Lamar front, if the Colts were realistic about making this pursuit of acquiring slash signing him, I you would have to look at contracts that they would have to dump in order to create the space yeah, I, I think is, that's a good point. That's it could be Shaq, it could be Buckner, Kelly, Kelly, and then even after that, it kind of limits you in terms of being able to sign Jonathan Taylor right. to an extension. Michael and again, Pittman I think that's what Ursay was saying. I think to that's an extension, a, that's a lot of what Ursay was saying. And trust me, there's a fine balance, and like you just got to get quarterback right and then figure the rest out. But to me, you've got to try and get quarterback right when he's on that rookie deal. Yep, and. I also think it's important to point this out, Eddie. I think it's easier to pivot if you swing and miss on a rookie quarterback than it is to pivot on a guy like Lamar Jackson. And by that I mean this. You know, Chicago swung and swung and miss at Mitchell Trubisky. And just a couple of years later, they've drafted Justin Fields. If you swing and miss on Lamar Jackson, 
Eddie, that's two first-round picks of your next two drafts. And again, from a cap space standpoint, that speaks for itself. And even if Lamar like kind of works out, then you're back drafting in the same places you've been drafting. Yeah. teens and early 20s. And you're stuck in quarterback purgatory, and your ability to pivot isn't going to be there. As bad as it sounds, if you're bad with a rookie quarterback, you usually are really freaking bad. So you're yeah. going to be up in the top five, top ten. And again, you would maintain your first-round picks. So that, I think, is something... like. If the Colts draft Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, and he plays, and all you know, let's just throw out crazy hypotheticals. It is Zach Wilson times ten bad. The Colts go two and fourteen, two and fifteen, whatever. There's an off the field incident. Let's just get real crazy with it all. Well, you're two and fifteen. You're gonna be drafting pretty darn high to go ahead and take Caleb Williams, and you haven't handed out all that money. You haven't given up two first round picks, so you can quickly pivot. It's an embarrassing season again, but. Rosie Bowen won't care if at some point in her elementary year she can cheer for the Colts as a winner. When you were bringing up, when you said pivot there, it made me think of Friends. Yeah. And Ross going up the stairs with the couch yelling, pivot! <laughs> pivot! Friends, um, top four, five show? That's one of my favorites. Of our-ish age. I know we're not the exact same age, but general vicinity with that. Um... Anything else, Eddie? It does sound like Jim Irsay kind of signs off in the Chris Bowd free agency approach, which... Sigh. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a good way to put it. A lot of scar tissue, I would think, from Mr. Grigson. That's one way to put it. You ready for Twitter questions? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, we've got nine of them. Steven is up first. If Jim Irsay says he wants to win multiple championships, wouldn't Lamar Jackson give him the best opportunity to do so, even if all the quarterbacks on the board at number four? How many years ahead could you trade picks? Example, could we send 2025 plus 2026 first-round picks and get Lamar? Again, the best Colts media podcast in the world. Appreciate you and Eddie G., for what you do for the fans, never missed a pod yet. Look at that. So it's Steven? Yeah. Outstanding. Thank you for that. He even included me. I feel nice and warm. As he should. This is a, a, a teamwork here on Kevin's Corner. Um, Now, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, I think if you wait after the draft, you could send 2025, 2026 for, for first rounder. So you could go down. Um, or excuse me. If you wait till after this draft, you could send 24 and 25. I don't think you can get much further. In the I don't know. future with that, I don't know how the re- renegotiation or anything like that could like could look. Um, again, I'll go back to the question I asked earlier: Are you a playoff team with him? Like, I think it's a debate that you at least have to have. As far as the give you the best opportunity to win two Super Bowls, I mean, Eddie, you didn't win two with Manning. The Chiefs just won their second. With Mahomes, like, yeah. like, is Lamar Jackson really the best opportunity? And again, I get that his playoff resume honestly probably has some Peyton Manning similarities to it from his early in his career. That's probably where I'll stop the Manning and Lamar comparisons. <laughs> I, I just how I view the ability to try and win multiple Super Bowls is I need to be standing at the dartboard in line for a decade. And I need to be, each year, getting a chance to throw that dart at the board. For the bullseye. So if I get a decade, my goal and my thought process is I'm going to hit that bullseye twice. But I need to be there for a full decade, probably. I mean, think about it with Manning. If he would have won his second, it would have been in, what, 2009? That was, what, 12 years into his career? 11 years into his career? That's a long time. So, again, that is what I think you have to remember about this is... I view it in the lens of Lamar Jackson is a wonderful talent, and does he give you the best chance to win 12 games next year? Yeah. But I can't look at it that that narrow-minded. I, I've got to look at it five, ten years down the road. And for me, that is take the swing in the draft where there's risk, arguably more risk. But I'd feel safer about it if that player got to a peak level staying healthy. 
Oh, Cody can't help but brace himself for a non-quarterback selection selection at number four. Every year, Ballard leaves breadcrumbs to what he's going to do, and there is one quote that really stands out to me. He says he's paraphrasing, but when asked about how he feels about getting a player at number four, he said, I feel great at four. I think we'll get the best player in the draft, to be honest. <laughs> That makes me think that he's fully expecting quarterbacks to go one, two, and three, and the best player in the draft being Will Anderson, which he knows could very well be there at four if Arizona trades out. He's been outspoken in the past about not just taking a quarterback to take one, and maybe he doesn't think that any of these guys are special. I think the Colts grab Will Anderson at four and either trade back into the first round to get Hinden Hooker or potentially wait for a late-round guy like Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA or Jaron Hall from BYU that could be future backups. Try to find their quarterback in the future next season where they will likely be in a spot to draft high once again. Love the pod. Thanks for the content. Cody, thank you. Uh, Very well thought out. Um, And I'll start here. There's certainly past precedent from Chris Ballard that indicates this question being worthy of, uh, of asked. I mean, Without a, without a doubt, so I do think it's relevant that the question's asked. And Eddie, I'm not going to lie, man. Ever since Carolina traded up to number one, whatever that was, three weeks ago, I've thought to myself, what if you penciled Will Anderson in for the next decade with ten sacks, with twelve sacks each year? Doesn't matter if you're if you don't have a quarterback. That would be the touche. That would be the devil's advocate to it. Um, Let's just focus for a brief second on Will Anderson giving you an edge rush of a dozen sacks you haven't had in quite some time. It'd be really nice to have, right? I mean, that's a position of critical importance. It would be really nice to have. So um, I, I, I could just hear or say, here's our next white Freedy man or our next Robert Mathis. I, I think the hypothetical has to be asked. Um, you know, this question has me thinking back to I think it was Burke. Burke, a listener, sent to me something to the effect of, like, Ballard owes it to the franchise to talk to Lamar. By the way, I would talk to anybody. I would talk to Lamar. I mean, I am such a big believer, and you talk and you answer and you field calls for everybody and everything in the NFL. And Rodgers? Do it all. Everybody. I don't. Everybody. Tom Brady? Everybody, Eddie Garrison. Um, Ballard owes it to the franchise to talk to Lamar. I would alter it and say you owe it to the franchise slash fan base to take that long-term swing at quarterback and to alter your approach. Like That, to me, is where you have to look in the mirror and be like, okay, for six straight years, I've been the head salesperson, and we have not met our goals in any of those six years. We're going to start a seventh year, and I'm going to use the same damn deck that I've used for the last six years. Yes. You know, it's like it's like the it's gi- going to change, Kevin. It's like the gif of the substitute teacher that keeps on walking in with, you know, the same day, just wearing like a different color shirt. You know, he's got the same old thing and he's walking in every single day. Like the definition of insanity is what? Um, Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So I'll go back to what I said just a few minutes ago, Eddie, about the AFC of the seven playoff teams and all of them with drafted quarterbacks. And we've we've done we've played out the game a step further of what about Deshaun Watson with the Browns? What about Kenny Pickett with the Steelers? What about you know Mac Jones with the Patriots? If you want to go a step further, and that's not even factoring in. Which again, this might be wishful thinking. That's not even factoring in. What if Aaron Rodgers and the Jets make a one-year run? What if Russell Wilson and the Broncos make a one-year run? What about Jimmy G and the Raiders? Like, I don't think so, but like, you Herbert just don't. in the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, Herbert and the Chargers. Well, they were a playoff team, so they, they would already qualify into that group. I've just never seen the AFC like it. So the market calls for it. The market calls for it, and that's where I sit here and just think, you can't have a season as sucky as last year was, as embarrassing as it was, sit there at four overall and not try and take a swing at generational. You're going to need development. You, it's no guarantee, but I think you have to attempt it. Do I have to lobby up the questions Mitchell has asked here? Oh, is this the Tiger one? This is well, not just Tiger. It's Notre Dame, too. I, this is, it was Mitchell. Was that my burner? 
I, I don't know. Burner I, I, I was going to ask like, you the start, same thing. Okay, it's Michael Mayer related, right? Yeah, start I'll, just with Michael Mayer, <laughs> then we'll go to Tiger. I'll just do it all for you. That way the listening audience can have full context. Well, I want to make sure we give proper attention to the golf, as you know, the audience I know loves. So let, just ask the football one. Uh, so that we go ahead and draft quarterback at three or four, no matter who the quarterback is. Uh, would you be mad if the next pick was a tight end over a wide receiver? I think Jelani Woods takes a step forward next year, but if Michael Mayer falls a little bit, I'd try to trade back into the first to grab him. I know it's wishful thinking, but that would be a hell of a tight end room. So would you rather draft tight end or wide receiver at 35? You know, it's really interesting, Eddie, how just tight end has grown into this position of you know, obviously great draft depth, but you know, some great playmaking talent. I, I probably just kind of like pass catcher. Travis Kelsey, Dallas Goddard, Kittle, you know, Ertz, etc. I think you have, if you're going to tell me right now, hey, Kevin, the tight end position of the Colts or the wide receiver position of the, for the Colts, which one are you going to invest your money in? Wide receiver. Um, I'd probably go tight end. I think Jelani, for me, wide receiver. I, I think Jelani Woods, Drew Ogletree, Kylan Granson. That's a group that I feel a little bit better about than Pittman, Pierce, and. Yeah, and again, I, I I could hear you out on wide out. Um, I would go again tight end. It's not like overwhelming tight end, but so having said all that, I'd probably rather have the wide out than the tight end in the draft. Um, if they happen to take a tight end, I, I'm certainly not going to be one that's like opposed to it because again, Drew Ogletree, as much as he was great in training camp, I mean, he still was a six round pick, and there's still major questions about him. So yeah, uh, wideout wise, is it just Pittman Pierce? Do you yeah, play? okay. Which I mean, those are two that I mean, certainly Pittman has accomplished infinitely more than any of the, those tight ends that I that I mentioned, and obviously Pierce had some really nice flashes. To me, if if Pierce can develop more than just a one trick pony, like right, we talked about right. for a lot last year, then I'd feel a little better. But until that happens, I'm still not confident. Sure. And I've always been high on Pittman. I think listeners of this podcast will, will, will know Likewise. Um, okay, what's the? It, let's get to the Tiger question. Fun question here, and I love Tiger Woods the same amount as you. Trust me, I'm a crazy Tiger fan too. That's not true. I I, I will not believe that. <laughs> I uh, You guys can't see it, but Kevin's getting a little bit of a sports arousal with Tiger <laughs> Woods being included in the Twitter questions uh, here. Uh, but if you could go back and watch in person any Tiger Woods moment, would you watch? Uh, what would you watch? His would be that being Mitchell, the 2005 master chip in on 16. Mm-hmm, That's sure. his favorite Tiger moment. Yeah, Nike golf ball hanging on the lip for those unfamiliar. Uh, boy, where to begin? I mean, certainly the U.S. Open in 2008, the putt to force the playoff with Rocco Mediate, one of the best calls by Dan Hicks. I expect anything different. And then Rocco, great shot of him in the scoring tent. Uh, the long putt at Sawgrass, uh, what was that, 01 on 17, Eddie? Obviously the you act 20. like I was three. I, I <laughs> well, I, good news. There, there are highlights of these on YouTube. Um, just the surgical nature to that final round of the Masters in 2019. You know, April 14th is a really big day in the Bowen household. April 14th, 2018, Eddie, I got engaged. April 14th, 2019, Tiger Woods won the Masters. <laughs> Say no more. Ross Lubbers, my brother-in-law. <laughs> Uh, avid listener of the podcast, Ross's dedication is second to none, and I greatly appreciate that. Um, and he's a wonderful father to his son Luke. Having said that, I think Ross would would could <laughs> get behind if I made the debate on which April fourteenth was more important. <laughs> uh, the two thousand PGA, the playoff of Bob May. I mean, just the iconic moments down the stretch of regulation and that playoff. Those are up there as well. The six iron of the Canadian Open. You didn't come on. You got to pick a moment here. All right, there's too many. Mitchell, thank you for that. I love Tiger and I love you. Flippin's question is up next. I'm sorry for those who were wanting football. We <laughs> Kevin got a little on a diatribe there. Blame Mitchell. Uh, give me the odds for the Colts doing the following in the first round: take a quarterback, take a defensive end, trade back. I heard Ballard's best player available comment. I think he is going defensive end. Oof. 
It's almost like what Ballard talks. You, you just got to believe nothing right now. Uh, all right, so a little pie chart. Give them to me again. Quarterback, DN, and trade back. Yep. Let's go. Um, I'll do 75 quarterback, 15 DN, 10% trade back. I was going to say 60 quarterback, 30 DN, 10 trade back. I don't know if we're there, Eddie, but again, I think we have to keep in mind, and Jim Irsay's comments this week at the owners' meetings did nothing to change my thought on this. Is the owner just going to flat out demand it? I don't know, but don't tell me you heard those comments at the owners' meetings and thought for a second, like, he might not do that. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I'll go 75, 15, and 10. Uh, Matt was wondering your thoughts about the Colts possibly trading up to number three. In my mind, Stroud goes to Carolina, and 14 Carolina reps were attending his pro day, and Bryce Young goes to Houston. Should we trade up to three to ensure our choice? You know me. Hail to the yeah. You know me, man. Uh, someone just sent me a picture of Tiger Woods' mugshot of thoughts of my new man cave flag. This guy's got a man cave of a Tiger Woods mugshot. Kevin, this is football. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Back on track. Okay. Um, again, get in control. Get in control. I, I I know there are other examples of it, but I also think it's relevant to bring up an example that Buffalo did in 2018. When they trade up from 21 to 12, and then they trade up again from 12 to 7, and that quarterback class, they got the third choice at quarterback, Eddie. The third choice at quarterback. It's about choices, not the third best. Win the choices. I said it earlier in the podcast. Carolina paid to to get the number one choice, not to get the best quarterback. The number one choice necessarily. Obviously, they hope it's the best quarterback. Um, so that would be what I would want to be doing. And you know what? Again, Seattle's making the rounds, and I mean. The, didn't I see correctly, Eddie? The Texans have brought in all four of the quarterbacks for top 30 visits. Or are going to. Yeah. You know, again, it's part of that because, hey, we just got to make sure in case Carolina, you know, throws a curveball at us, we know what we're dealing with. Yeah, but also, again, you want to do your due diligence on everybody, and you just never know who will be there at three. And Seattle's got ammo. Detroit's got ammo. The Raiders are crazy. The Titans are crazy. Get in control. I think it's worth it. Terp wants to know if you could see a possible draft day trade sending Kenny Moore in one of the fifth-round picks to Chicago to get back into round three. Foreseeable future, right? That was the phrase that Chris Bauer used in relation to Kenny. Yep. Um, You know, the bonuses, it was a slight bonus, Eddie, but it hit a couple weeks ago for both him and Ryan Kelly, so I think you have to factor that in. Now, again, I think it's a good call by Terp in that we've had many years where a day three pick has been acquired for a player. Hassan Ridgeway, Quincy Wilson, I'm sure I'm forgetting other names, but those are the two that pop into my head. A lot of it probably depends on how the draft unfolds. I mean, Eddie, think about it like this. What if they go corner round two and corner round four? Now does Kenny Moore become expendable once he get later on to day three? That's a good question. You know, so I think some of that factors into it. Um, was Wilson traded the Rocky Scene draft? I think so. There you go. So that that's an example of, you know, depending on how the draft unfolds. I also will throw out, you know, what I said earlier about, you know, do you want a veteran in the back end? It's a really inexperienced back end right now. Corner and safety. Yeah. Yeah. Julian Blackman's your most experienced safety, right? Probably your most experienced corner, right? Not named Kenny, too? I mean, I should say DB. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three questions left. Travis, do you think Chris Ballard has to go quarterback at four, i.e. Ursay directive? Mm. If Ballard got a reset with a new coach, could he talk Ursay into letting him get one next year with potentially higher talent like Caleb Williams as he's not ma- uh, making hot seat moves with lack of fee- uh, free agent moves and Gilmore Trey, which imply longer time frame it does fit its philosophy don't reach at quarterback just because of need as eddie mentioned go defensive end if quarterback goes one two and three you know i think a devil's advocate to a lot of this eddie is 
like the whole Caleb Williams talk, it's hard to tank. You know? It is hard to tank. Um, when you look at the NFL, when you look at Arizona sitting there at three, or hell, the Colts sitting there at four, I don't think either of those teams thought they would be in that situation entering the draft. Shane Steichen obviously wants no part of it whatsoever. And you know what, Eddie? I would argue this. I don't think Gardner Minshew is a very good tanking backup quarterback. I think Gardner Minshew is capable. I think Gardner Minshew is a fine player. I do too. Like, I, I think he can, you know, be a whatever, a, a decent player. So I don't think you would lose enough. And, and you brought it up earlier, Eddie. It's the, the schedule's not daunting at all. I mean, honestly, you know who you'd be tanking alongside? You'd probably be tanking alongside Tennessee or Houston or Atlanta. Depending on how they and another team that you play, or one of those NFC South teams in general, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But, um, so yeah, that is where, and, and you know, as much as we sit here and be like Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison Jr., no questions asked. I mean, a lot can happen in twelve months, good or bad. So that's something I think you got to keep in mind. Wouldn't that be something though if they drafted a quarterback this year, were still not great, and they were high enough to get. Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, you know what, Eddie? Someone, 1998. Someone line up the sevens and we got a jackpot. 1998. What was the Colts record? Peyton Manning his first year. Was that two and fourteen? I think just one win. One win that you sold them short on. Three and thirteen. Mm. Three and thirteen. That made what? That made them get a high pick in 1999, and the pick in 1999 was Edger and James goes back to the earlier conversation we had about not wanting to give up a 2024 draft pick. Peyton Manning threw the most interceptions in uh, in rookie NFL history. You went 3-13, and but yet you saw hope, you saw growth, baptism by fire, all those things, yeah. out of a four-year college starter, not to mention, in Peyton Manning. You know, I think you should throw that out there. Back in the like, day when guys actually played all four years. Well, that, and also, you know, there's a debate of how ready are some of these guys from day one. If Peyton Manning led the league in interceptions as a rookie, NFL franchise history or NFL history, and he started four years in the SEC, brace yourself for what we could see from a Levis or a Richardson. But again, you were bad. You offered some hope. You got a high draft pick in a draft that offered, you know, what ended up being a Hall of Fame talent at the running back position. You hit on it and you found great success. That would be my hesitancy, part of my hesitancy, in giving up a 2024 draft pick. You just mentioned Gardner Minshew. Patrick agrees with you because he says that Minshew is a really nice quarterback for many reasons. He could help bring along a young quarterback, or he can be a nice fill-in for an injured starter. How likely is it that his signing is as related to a Lamar Jackson pursuit as it is to groom a rookie? Again, I, I think it's either. I know Steichen was asked this question at the owners' meetings, and he didn't really have a transparent answer. I don't think they can be, Patrick. I, I don't think they know. And I, I, I'm not going to overread this one. Like, you need a backup that knows your system and is low maintenance. That's how I look at it. Whether Lamar Jackson's your starter, whether Will Levis is your starter, whether Sam Ellinger's your starter. A little tongue-in-cheek on the last one, but you know what I'm saying. You, do you make anything of, of what Carolina and Houston have done this offseason and building around their QB? Carolina have been the more active, of course. You know, DJ Shark, um, Hayden Hurst. Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen. Uh, Miles Sanders. Obviously, they lost DJ Moore. They, they trade up from 9-1. to one. Houston a little bit quieter. Dalton Schultz, I think it's a really good signing. Yeah. By it was them. a one-year deal, though, right? think that's right. Robert Woods is a veteran wideout that I know didn't have a big year in Tennessee, but probably important. Traded away Brandon Cooks. Traded away Brandon Cooks. They also have the 12th pick, you know, so they have a couple of ammos. Hopefully they get John Mechie back. Right, right. Obviously his off-the-field issue with leukemia. leukemia, Correct, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, when you look at it, Eddie, it's interesting. The Colts have clearly done the least. Carolina, you could argue, needed to do more. You could make the argument Carolina has a better outlook on their offensive line maybe moving forward. They've got a couple other, you know, a little bit more from a younger piece. It, it's it's fascinating to me how the three teams that we assume will go quarterback in the top four have really done things differently in building. Does it kind of debunk the idea with Carolina's moves that Frank Reich didn't ask for much? 
when he was with here in Indy. Yeah, it, it's a. I'm glad you brought that up. I do think there was a level of contentment from Frank Reich. Um, and sometimes Eddie, you have to be humble to that degree to realize we need to do something. We need. I I need more. And it probably helps when your owner is that aggressive, which I think David Tepper is certainly that. Final question. Yes. Comes from Brad. I was reflecting back on an old episode where you said Jim Irsay is likely keeping Chris Ballard because he's a highly respected talent evaluator. But aren't there plenty of good talent evaluators out there who also can do a better job at all aspects of putting a team together? Howie Roseman comes to mind in that he doesn't do well, or that he does well in the draft, does well in free agency, does well getting extra draft capital, building tradable slash blue chip talent, and takes good risks that pay off. Chris is like the adverse to taking risk to the point where caution seems to mask a fear of getting it wrong and losing his job. I think Brad is really spot on with that last part. Um, and I guess let me make this clear, and I think I've said this on this podcast, I think I said it back when the season ended, um, I, I don't know why Jim Mersey is keeping Chris Ballard for a seventh year considering the resume. The resume is no indicator that he has earned the right to continue down this path, especially when you compare it to other um, people in the same sort of position around the NFL. The Howie Roseman thing was certainly a huge, huge difference um, and pretty drastic, and the Chip Kelly, and you know, kind of moving sides of the building, and really being muted, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, but now Bow gets a chance to try and right some of the wrongs, and he's admittedly called himself stubborn. I would agree with that. Will he do things differently? So far, again, we're still early in free agency. I don't see much of a change here. Um, really at all. I mean, the offensive moves have been extremely quiet. Um, so um, maybe it's everything is kind of centered around make the quarterback draft pick and then, you know, do the building then. I still think kind of what I was alluding to with Carolina and Houston, you have a little bit of a balance and, you know, how you want to, um, you know, build from a rookie contract standpoint. But I still think you need to support your rookie QB early on to try and get him to feel whatever, supported, comfortable, etc. Um, but yeah, I, again, Ballard getting seventh year, kudos to him for clearly having a relationship with the owner that's earned him that type of relationship because I don't think the building approach nor the on-field results should lead to that or should have led to that. But here we are. Uh, Eddie, anything else, man? Nothing else for me. Uh, who you got, one and all? Oh, I don't know. It's so hard, <laughs> honestly. Um, UConn. I had Arizona and UConn in the championship game. Okay, let me change that real quick. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I you only think about the Arizona part? You don't you don't think about the UConn part? Well, everything else about your bracket has gone disastrous, <laughs> so it's only a matter of time before UConn just collapses. Yeah, the touche, touche on that. Uh, yeah, I'll go. Uh, I'll go UConn over San Diego State. Oh, but I man, I, I can't support the alma mater. What are you doing? I do like Miami. I do, obviously, but heart, you know, Florida Atlantic would love to see it. Uh, all right, Eddie, next week we'll get it. Boy, it's going to be April, man. Uh, off-season program begins a week from Monday, by the way. I saw that. Let's get on the field April 10th for that. So we'll hear from Shane Steichen. We'll start to get into that. And I would say the attention will probably shift a little bit more draft, which I know a lot of you like. I like so it, too. Look for that coming up in the next few weeks. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.